where we discuss the business of cybersecurity. Here are your co-hosts and cybersecurity experts, Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. I don't even know what happened there. Did that come through? Um, I can hear you. Oh, wait, I thought for a second Andre was uh, locked up. Yeah, I heard it all. I heard the uh, intro. No, I didn't. I'm locked up. I was locking up or something. Maybe it's me with the internet problems. Well, they were cheering when they started cheering once again. They always cheer when we mention Andre's name. So the fan favorite. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to another edition of the Security Squawk podcast. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Brian Horning from Exact Cybersecurity and IT, and we also have Randy Bryan joining us after a one-week hiatus from Tech Rescue. <laughs> Feels like a million years. Reginald Andre down in Miami for Arc Solvers Cybersecurity and IT, mm-hmm. and this is the show where we try to educate everybody about what the hell is going on out there around cybersecurity, and then quickly evolving, ever-changing industry that we work in, boots on the ground, given the rest of the world kind of education and knowledge on what we're seeing and where we think the world is going when it comes to just dealing with all the stuff that we have to deal with when it comes to cybercrime, cybercriminals, and ransomware. So if you enjoy anything or you learn anything on our on our show, whether you listen to us or watch us on social media, which we're going to be streaming here on very shortly uh you're gonna see us on youtube facebook uh where else are we at um in our uh linkedin uh share us out share us out to your friends and and the more you share it or the more you like our post the better chance that other people in your community on your friends list will see our stuff and that really helps us out and it helps us spread the word, and it's why we do this show on a weekly basis. I think we've been doing this for like over two years now, right? Have, have we hit the two-year mark, Andre? Yeah, definitely, definitely, at least at minimum two years. Yeah. So, lots of things changing. Uh, one of the things that we kind of warn everyone about, uh, I guess maybe for like the last six months or so, is that the days of you being allowed to do nothing or choose what you want to do around cybersecurity are coming to an end. Um, and we all say here that the government's going to create rules, they're going to put laws on the books, they're going to impact businesses and force them to do this stuff the right way because, quite frankly, as we point out on the show all the time, we know they're not. And here we have the SEC coming out with their revised cybersecurity rules um, which are pretty stringent and they require businesses to do a lot of things and it has global implications as well. So let's kind of dive into it, uh, with our audience kind of, um, I guess, first off, the SEC doesn't cover everybody. So let's talk about who they cover, who, who has to be worried about the SEC potentially coming after them if they don't do cybersecurity the right way. Um, and then let's talk about what the what the SEC wants companies to do, who may be under the the uh, purview of the SEC. So, um, first off, I know obviously if you're publicly traded, that's obvious you have to deal with the SEC. But you also, if you deal with investments in any way, shape, or form, 
So you think what, what they call family offices in, in financial planning oh, yeah. <clears throat> or um, private equity or M&A, right? Those are all covered by all of this. So you, if you basically, if you do investing, uh, whether you invest in stocks or whether you invest in businesses uh, like private equity and M&A do, you have to follow these rules now. Um, and while the rules with the SEC have been fairly, uh, I would say, uh, more mature than most industries, this really starts to get interesting here for people because you have basically four months to get on the ball here and do what they're asking you to do because the, the new rules go into effect in uh, December of 2023. And right. I also want to say that the SEC isn't like, the FTC, they're not going to like extend this and kick the can down the road on this. So right. you're going to have to do it. So let's jump into it. I don't, uh, one of you guys want to take kind of like one thing that stood out to you that uh, companies are going to have to do? Yeah, sure. I'll go first. Um, so here in the article, it talked about four things that they're going to have to do in uh, following a breach related information attack. So we have the date of the discovery and the status of the incident, the concise description of the incident's nature and extent, any data that may have been compromised, altered access or used without authorization and the impact on the incident of the company's op operation. So I love what I'm reading here. Um, just A, as an investor, um, taking out the cybersecurity hat, if I'm looking to invest in a company and there's some internal um, data breaches that's happening. And now I, you know, put some money into the market and two days later I find out, wow, something happened two, three months ago. I wish I would have known. So I think that's going to be great for the investor first off. Yeah. And the thing that really stands out to me um, on this is the, um, this is really like, we talk about this all the time. Um, in our show, and we've talked about all these different things that went to trial and people are like, oh, I don't know, you know, the IT person didn't tell me or, you know, I wasn't in charge of that. And this brings in like we're hearing over and over and over, um, brings in accountabilities that are literally the result of like lawsuits and things that happen where people disavowed accountability, where now they're going to be held accountable. Um, because of basically everybody sticking their head in the sand over the past um, many, many years. And that really stu stood out because of the whole transparency thing um, and that the boards have to have a certain amount of play. It literally, it literally says that the, the cybersecurity expertise of management and board members and descriptions of policies and procedures for the identification and management of cyber risks um, have to be included. So that really hit me when I read this. So uh, not only do you have four days to kind of report on the breach, and as Andre mentioned, the extent of, I thought some of the interesting things just in that alone were you can't just say we got hit with a cyber attack anymore. You have to say what it was um, and you have to start the information sharing almost at, at that four day mark, right? And the days of companies just not letting you know what's going on and just putting out these kind of like, Hey, we're, I think, I think there were times guys that over the years that we've been doing the show and we've talked about various attacks where we've seen 
network incidents used, you know, when there's been ransomware events, you know, when companies are dealing with ransomware events. Um, so a lot of, a lot of what the SEC is, is forcing, and I guess the way I could summarize what the SEC really is, is trying to do with these rules is I think they, for the last couple of years, they've been observing companies, um, not take full ownership of cybersecurity responsibilities. And um, I saw a report by Krebs uh, maybe like two weeks ago that pointed out that, you know, a very small percentage of, of Fortune 100 companies actually have CISOs on their board, yet they have chief people officers or they have a chief marketing officer. And they're always keeping that that CISO or that security person one level down away from the board. So typically they report to maybe operations managers or, or operations uh, officers, or they'll report to the CIO. They won't make security a, a kind of like a separate thing from IT. They view it as an IT problem. And I think that that's what has come through to the SEC from businesses is that we're going to treat this as an IT problem. We're going to keep it at arm's length away from the board for very strategic reasons, I believe. And we can kind of debate that and get into that here in a minute. But that's been the play. And the SEC is like, that's no longer going to fly. You need to have cybersecurity experts advising you, letting you know what your threat is. You must receive threat intelligence reports from a, cyber, a qualified cybersecurity person. So they're really just telling CEOs and people who are in charge the days of you burying your head in the sand on purpose because you just don't want to deal with a problem are over. And I think that a lot of these companies in this industry have known for a, quite a while now, probably about a year and a half, that this was going to come and this was going to change. And here we are. So... Uh, anything you want to add to what I just said there? Plus, I want to get your guys' thoughts on what kind of teeth you actually think this is going to have on, on these businesses. You know, we've seen S SEC fine, so we know they have the, the resources. And I just can't wait till this trickles down to the small businesses and or you know mid-sized businesses. Yeah, like, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to well, ask, how is that going to happen in your opinion? Which well, one, the trickle? Yeah. How's the trickle down going to happen? Yeah. Oh, state, oh, state by states, they're going to try to, I would say, copy and paste what um, what the SEC is doing. And you know, there there used to be a saying, "What happens in California now happens in the rest of the country." Like five years later, although I'm not sure that that's still going on, but that we used to say that. But with with cybersecurity, you could say what happens in the SEC now is going to happen in for everybody else in the next three years. Um, easy. Um, and that's, you look at what they were doing like 10 years ago. Um, everybody's got to do now to get insurance and stuff like that. I, I feel I, I would basically agree with, with what Andre's saying. This is going to um, cause the effect to ripple all through, um, you know, all through different uh, areas of business that aren't even under the control of the SEC. Yeah. And it's a legal form that they're going to be submitting. So if they're lying or, you know, have their lawyers do some crafty email, I mean, that's going to be lawsuits later on. 
That's not even going to be lawsuits. They'll, they'll be, they won't even be able to be in the financial investment sector. Like they'll get kicked out. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, <laughs> that's what that comes down to. Um, so, I mean, I, it's, it's one, one thing that just popped in my head is it's amazing to me that out of everything that is in these rules, the thing that's being talked about the most is the four day rule, which I think quite frankly is, the least part of anybody's worry out of what comes out of this, right? Because the four day thing is, is predicated on you having an attack, right? But the rest of the rules apply to you preventing yourself from having an attack. And that's to me where the bigger, where the, where the bigger deal is for companies because they're actually going to have to start investing uh, in this stuff. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're basically saying that you can't have your IT department in charge of oversight of your cybersecurity program. You now have to be in charge of oversight of the cybersecurity program. So now you you can't say, I don't care. It's not my problem anymore. Like, um, and, I, and, and I guess the other thing that I'm seeing out there is a trend, and you guys can, can tell me if you're seeing the same, but one of the, one of the trends I'm seeing is is not coupled with the fact that they're uh, making them take their head out of the sand. I think at the same time, businesses are also waking up to the fact that yeah, there's a lot of cyber insurance companies out there writing cyber insurance policies for these companies to to cover their risk should they have to deal with an event. But there's also a lot of businesses finding out that they bought cyber insurance and these cyber insurance companies are doing everything they can to not pay these claims. And that's another piece of this. I think there's a massive false sense of security by businesses who are like, hey, we have a cyber insurance policy. Um, you know, I have pet insurance, right? And I, and I guess I have to start telling people like, you know, cyber insurance is probably just as good as pet insurance because pet insurance, quite frankly, sucks. Um, if, if you your pet, you know, basically has to break his leg and it has to be like a total accident for them not to for them to, to cover the claim. You know, if, if you know, my dog had some like thing grown on its skin and, you know, we try to go through pet insurance to get it paid for the vet bills. And they were like, oh, that's a, you know, a hereditary condition that that breed has and gets that. So we don't cover that. That's it's a exclusion. Um, <clears throat> now, they're not doing things like that with cyber insurance. They're just going in and saying, hey, you told us you were doing this and you're not doing it. So now we're not paying your claim. And that's the world we live in. Yeah. So, a question on that though: uh, the four-day rule. Are they are are people saying it's not enough days, or or it's, it's too much days? Say that again. The four-day rule, because you said there's a lot of uh, people talking about that. So, what's what's the um, argument on? Well, on I just that? think if like when I was googling and I was looking for the uh, the SEC rules, most of the headlines were SEC you know requires companies to disclose in four days, and that was like the big headline that came out of these rules. And I think that that's, you know, my point was, is that's the least of businesses worries. They, they have to worry about all the other stuff. Right. So is, are you asking me to go through all that? 
Oh, no, no, no. I thought just people were saying that, oh, the four days was not enough days for the companies or it's too much days for them. Like, you know, okay. No, I'm just saying that, that I'm surprised that that's like what most of the news outlets pulled out of what was read, right? Is that you have four days. It's like, well, there's a whole other slew of rules that have been laid out here that nobody's talking about. So um, just bringing awareness to that. So um, let me go back. Uh, so ransomware found this article before you move on to that next article article i just wanted to add i I like the four day the four day thing because we've seen a pattern you know we we actually have like a joke like the cycle like the first thing out of the gate is nothing to see here you know um and then they come back later like when it's on like a like a holiday weekend or on the weekend and that's when they really drop the bomb about what really happened the four-day thing, once again, it's a reaction to how people have been handling these things. And the four-day th- four thing means if it happened on a Wednesday, well, then you better have a press report out or whatever you got to do. Just fill out the form or whatever. You got to do that in, you know, four days. Um, so. That's it. Yeah, four days to disclose it. And, you know, I guess, I guess the other thing I want to point out before we move on is, you know, CMMC was adopted yesterday. Um, SEC rules have come out. So you, you take a look at the Biden plan, the, the, you know, or whatever you want to call it, the White House's cybersecurity plan. There is a, and I've been trying to tell people there's a wave coming, but this wave is moving now. Like the government has their eyes set on starting to secure this country from a cybersecurity standpoint. And this is how they're going to do it. And they're going to require companies to start putting language into their contracts for their subcontractors. So that's the other trickle-down effect that it, that kind of Andre mentioned that I think not only are states going to start doing similar stuff, but anybody that gets paid by the government in any way, shape, or form, think about when hospitals are built and they get money from HHS or, you know, uh, colleges and universities that get money from the Department of Education, they are all going to be required to do more around cybersecurity. And then the vendors that they use are going to start seeing language in their contracts that require them to do more around cybersecurity because everybody is being told they have to evaluate third-party risks. So how, what's an easy way to do that? Just put a blanket statement that says, you basically adhere to the same level of cybersecurity as we do. Um, And they're going to make you do it that way. And if you don't do it, you risk losing your revenue for your business. Um, And there will be businesses who decide it's just too much for us to do for this little amount of money that we get for being a subcontract on this thing. That's conversations I have all the time with businesses where we're like, hey, I remember one time, I, that we were reviewing contracts for a customer and they, and we should, we said to them, Hey, uh, you're, do you know how much it is to get a sock too? And he, and they were like, no, why? And I'm like, because you have a, uh, an agreement here with this company that says you will get a sock too. And they were like, I think the number that they threw out me was like, we don't even do like 
$80,000 a year in revenue with that company. We would never try to go get a SOC 2 for, for that kind of revenue. And I'm like, right, but you <laughs> you signed an agreement that says you would be SOC 2 compliant, SOC 2 type 2 compliant, and that's going to cost you a minimum of $200,000 over the next two to three years. Um, so, you know, that they had to make a business decision of whether they wanted to continue to collect that revenue for the requirements that they were put under. Because going back to the client and saying, hey, we have to charge you more if you're going to make us do this doesn't fly because they already signed the agreement. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Fred Randy. Well, I was going to say, um, to add to that, you know, we mentioned, we mentioned in the last several months, a bank that was fined. There was no leak and, you know, nothing happened, but they were fined because they didn't properly vet their vendors. I think it was like a hundred million dollar fine. And we figured out that was like 0.001 of their, you know, annual revenue. Um, yesterday I was talking to a customer. And so for the first time ever now, there's a, there's the, I, that I've heard at least, there's now a question on some insurance, cybersecurity insurance applications. Do you have a process for vetting your vendors um, as far as cybersecurity goes? I don't remember the exact the exact wording, but that's kind of crazy. That's starting to what what you're to add to what you're saying. That's even starting to trickle down now into insurance applications. Are you properly vetting your your vendors from a cybersecurity standpoint? You can't just stick your head in the sand, which is what everybody's been doing. And the reason you can't stick your head in your sand in the, in the sand is because we are dealing with ransomware at an unprecedented rate. And uh, it's still a huge problem, according to CSO online, Great transition. <laughs> CSO magazine. Uh, so it basically starts off, Ransomware has been a, a growing plague on businesses for nearly a decade. Uh, wow. Um, and data shows it is increasing. The new research from Sophos finds 76% of ransomware attacks resulted in the criminal successfully encrypting data. That's a pretty good success rate, guys. Uh, this is the highest rate of data encryption from ransomware since Sophos began its, its annual State of the Ransomware report in 2020. Uh, so <clears throat> the latest edition of the report debunks the idea that ransomware is holding steady or even declining. Remember that at the end of 2022 that was coming out like crazy, like people actually thought they were getting ahead of this stuff. In fact, 67% of organizations were hit by ransomware in 2022. This, re this uh, reveals rates of encryption have returned to very high levels after a temporary dip during the pandemic as crews have refined their methodologies of attack. So let's just kind of talk about that right there. Um, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to re review the report that they're citing in here, um, but I don't think any of us are surprised by any of this data other than the fact that that's a pretty damn high number. 76% of ransomware attacks resulted in successful encryption of data. So you, you basically have a 20% chance of it not being successful, which is, is not great if you're a business. It really means, like, it blows my mind that businesses think that they have good cybersecurity when these are the, the data points that come out. Like, you clearly don't. That's, that's you know, 
Well, and, and we, we often talk about the methods that they use to encrypt. And we're, we, we rarely are we like, whoa, that's really cool and amazing. We're normally like, well, there you go. Another leaked password on the dark web, another VPN account they forgot to close, another developer that walked away from their computer for a few minutes or whatever. And this, this article backs that up saying that they really aren't doing that much that's sophisticated. Um, people are just so poorly defended and poorly patched that they're just wide open uh, for, for this. So basically, they're saying it's a target-rich environment. I don't know where we're getting feedback from, but I'm hearing feedback. Oof. Um, so, Andre, anything out of this article that, that you thought was interesting? Um, or did you look at the report that you thought it was interesting? So... Yeah, what I liked about this article, it talks about, um, you know, why you shouldn't pay the ransom and, you know, give some statistics about that. And one of the articles we're going to be talking about is how a community college paid the ransom. So it's like so funny, like as I'm reading the article, I'm like, okay, yeah, you shouldn't do it. And then here we are, we're going to be talking next about uh, Hawaii's community college paying the ransom. So let's just hit some of this. Um, <clears throat> I found an infographic on the report. Uh, hopefully everybody can see that. Um, take take a look at some of these numbers that are here. I mean, ninety seven percent of organizations that had uh, had data encrypted got the data back. So wow, I mean, there they are again, the criminals returning people's data at a rate of ninety seven percent. Just goes to show you. I mean, and the hackers want you to see these kinds of statistics because. You know, that's their business models predicated on people believing that if they pay that ransom, uh, they're going to get their, their data back. Uh, any any statistics you guys see there that stick out for you? Randy, you're muted, buddy. Yeah, sorry. I got I muted after the whole um, feedback incident. Yeah. Um, but why are they saying 97% of organizations that had data encrypted got data back? What does that mean? Are they trying to say that 3% didn't? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, They're basically saying that if you pay the ransom, only 3% of organizations don't get their data back. Right. So, but they are saying, though, if you pay the ransom, your recovery caught back in the original article your recovery costs are double if you pay the, ver the ransom versus if you use backups to get your data back. But I don't even know that that's a good point to make because what we're seeing is, you know, we've not what we're seeing, what's been out now for like three years is Ooh. double extortion where, yeah, they encrypt your data, but they also release it if you don't pay the ransom either, <clears throat> you know? So yeah. Okay. So maybe you're recovering from a backup, but you're still at threat of your data getting, getting released. I know that's not on the um, infographic, so we can stick with that. So the average uh, ransom in 2023 was 1.54 million up from 812,000 and 59% were standalone cyber insurance policy and 15% were no cyber insurance coverage at all. And then the mean recovery cost is 1.82 million excluding the ransomware payment. So you basically can add those two numbers together that are in yellow there. 2.6 million 
if paid the ransom and got the data back. So it costs more if you pay the ransom and get the data back versus if you use backups to restore data, which only costs you 1.6 million for costs of recovery. What do you guys think about that? those numbers? I think those numbers are way higher than any CEO in this country thinks. I don't right. care what level they're at. Small, medium, large enterprise business. I think that if no, I don't think CEOs really understand the gravity of that number right there. Not until they don't. Well, what what's really uh, crazy though is the how it goes up if they pay the ransom. And then let's just look at you know the rest of it. Eighty four percent lost business revenue due to the attack. Eighty four percent. So that's going into the nineties there. And 24% took between one and six months to recover from the attack. And only 45% were able to recover within a week if 40, if backups were used. And only 39% were able to recover within a week if they paid the ransom. So most companies don't recover within a week. That's basically what that's telling you. And it's quicker if you have backups versus trying to pay the ransom, which makes sense because you're not agree, you know, you're not negotiating, you're, you're going right to your source for your backups and you're restoring. So, um, I don't know if you guys can hit the comments, give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. If you guys want to try to tackle that question, I don't really understand what it means. So I'm not gonna, I don't even know anything about that. So I'm not even going to try to tackle it. Hmm. So let me know if you want to try to tackle it or not. Yeah, that's my buddy Bill uh, Honore, but I'm not sure of the question either. If you, Bill, if you can reward it. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, I'm not. I'm not a central bank digital currency person, so I have no idea what any of that means. I mean, I do, but I don't. I'm not an expert. Uh, so, I have a comment on the uh, infographic. Please. So backup use has dropped 3% um, in the last year. And the rate, you're, you you have almost a 40-ish percent savings um, in overall recovery costs if you have backups. So I see that that's happening. I see that that's very real, but I don't understand why less people um, would, be using, would be using backups. Um, that just... Blows my mind, actually. So, because it's in the cloud, is in the cloud a backup? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And like we've always said, the cloud. All you're doing is you're taking your your server out of your server closet and you're putting in in someone else's server closet. That's all you're doing. So you still need everything you needed before, and you're just are you just going to hope that they're doing it? So anyway, don't get me started on that one. So uh, I like this one because it kind of brings up a point that we talked about on our uh, last week's episode when we talked to uh, Ken Pyle from Cyber. Um, this is like something Ken does all the time. He finds equipment that's been discarded, thrown out, recycled somewhere, put somewhere. Um, and, I, and, and we need to bring awareness. Like, you know, we say at the top of the show, we want to bring awareness to as many people as we can. And this right here is awareness to basically everybody who has printers 
in their home or office, which is probably most of America, I would think. Um, especially if you have a Canon printer, but this really applies to any device that you put into your home, right? Um, it could be as simple as a, as a, as a digital or as a LED light bulb, a smart light bulb, right? Anything where you're basically saying like, here's my Wi-Fi network, here's the user, here's the SSID, here's the password to connect to it, um, could be susceptible to what we're seeing here with, with uh, this Canon warning, which Canon warns of Wi-Fi security risks when discarding in inkjet printers. Um, so like I said, uh, I'll leave it to one of you guys to kind of fill everybody in on what's going on here. But I would just, as you listen to us talk about this, just don't say to yourself, well, I don't have a Canon printer because this can be any device in your home that you connect to Wi-Fi. So go ahead, guys. So um, I think uh, we had said Andre was going to lead off on the next article. So I guess I'll lead off on uh, on this one. But basically, you have a printer. You hook it up to the Wi-Fi. It's storing the data, the username and password of the Wi-Fi in the printer. Use the printer for a few years. You, th you throw it away or hopefully you're not throwing it away. Like, you know, there's recycling places where you can send it. If you <clears> sold it on like Facebook Marketplace, somebody could get it and basically get the credentials out of it. Um, they could figure out really who you were because we all know you can get on Shodan and you just look at internal names of networks and you can almost always figure out what business it actually is. Even if that doesn't even have other information. You can just look at the internal network and figure that part out. Because a lot of times, you know, if you're an XYZ company, you know, the Wi-Fi is called XYZ Wi-Fi. You know what I mean? Um, but we saw this happen big time with hackers that were buying old smart switches. They were buying them, um, getting them into Eastern Europe and then using that data to get into uh, networks and such. Bottom line is when you get rid of a piece of equipment, you need to make sure that it's wiped. Um, there are some recycling places that will give certificates of being wiped. But in that previous instance with that switch, that article actually said there were some that some recycling places don't actually wipe even when they say they do. So you're best off just wiping the, the device yourself before you get rid of it. That's the bottom, the bottom line here. And if you have a, um, a business copier machine where it's like a hard drive inside and you're scanning to scanning to that copier device, when you return it back to your, maybe you're leasing it and you're gonna get a new copier or if it's dead, um, make sure that that company also doesn't wipe. And same thing, you know, certificate of destruction or you just ask them, what's your procedure? What are you going to do now that you take this hard drive or just go in and delete all the information? Um, but yeah. just don't we just bought an off-lease copier once and it was uh, used at a Wells Fargo. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Um, so, and this was like over 10 years ago. Um, but um, that happens. Andre is hundred percent right. You don't think that that happens or you think, Hey, when I give it to my copier company, they're going to wipe it for me. Don't assume that they're going to wipe it for you before you unplug that thing and give it to them, go format the hard drive on it. Right. Um, I remember one time <clears throat> I was, you know, just checking things on my home network <clears throat> and I was able to, um, 
access a device that had a storage section on it. And through my network, I was able to access the, this device and see files. So I start clicking around. I see a, a text file called Wi-Fi. And I open up that file and there's my fucking SSID and my user and my SSID password right there in plain text on this text file. So, you know, obviously I got rid of that device, but these types of things can happen. Like you can buy a device that you think is cool. It's a smart switch. It's a smart outlet, whatever it is. You program it to be on your Wi-Fi and it stores a text file in the device that the device reads when it boots up and it doesn't encrypt it. It keeps everything there in plain text for anyone to see if they can get access to it. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. When you get rid of that device, if that text file is still there and it wasn't wiped, somebody could potentially get their hands on that and then, you know, figure out where you were. Or maybe they know where you are already and then try to connect to your network and, do bad things. If you don't think that this stuff happens, it does. Um, and I guess my biggest thing, what I have been telling people lately, what we do uh, at my home is smart devices. They get connected to a completely separate Wi-Fi network than what we connect our laptops to do work on and things like that. Um, I just don't trust smart devices anymore. So I set up like a guest network on my Wi-Fi at my house. And all our devices get connected to that and the computers and the important stuff go on a completely separate network um, and everything works just as normal. Um, it's a, it takes a little bit more thinking and a little bit more set up to do it the right way. But I feel like we're a lot more secure now because we don't have to have these worry about these devices being compromised or, you know, if somebody does get on that network, all they're going to see is smart devices. They're not going to be able to get to a computer. Or they're not going to be able to, you know, do anything crazy once they get on that network. So that's something I would recommend is, you know, set up a guest network, create a separate SSID with a separate network in your home that you connect these smart devices to. Um, that's the best way to go about it, in my opinion. So. Quick, quick, crazy story. Um, about six months ago, we had a client, uh, they're going into a new office and it was actually an old Wells Fargo regional office. So nothing with actually the bank, but it was just a, a, an office where corporate would go to. And when they left, they literally ripped every single cable out. And like, like you would have thought that there was never any hardwired Cat6, Cat5 cabling in there. I was like, wow. Yeah, so so uh, moving right along, guys. Our last topic. We'll wrap up here. Uh, Andre, you'll say, tell my smart devices are mostly still in shrink wrap. So, what'd you say? <laughs> Most of my smart devices are still in shrink wrap. <laughs> They're not even unboxed. So, <laughs> so uh, Andre, I'll fill us in on what's going on out here in Hawaii. But we have another school uh, under attack: Hawaii Com County or Hawaii Community College. Uh, pays ransomware gang to prevent data leak. What's going on in beautiful Hawaii uh, at the community college there? Yeah, so we got June 19th of this year, um, the ransomware group called No Escape had a, um, they basically were able to do a ransomware and they have 65 gigabits of stolen data 
that um, they took from this college. And they said, if you don't pay up, we're going to go ahead and leak it. And if you check our check record, we've done it before. So we're going to do it with you. And, you know, I'm, I know it's going to be debatable, but I'm going to say the college did the right thing. They said that they saw that, you know, um, the information that that this ransomware group had, had personal identifiable information, socials, you know, forms that a college student would uh, fill in, driver license information, all of this stuff of both um, employees and students. And they said, you know what, let's go ahead and protect um, our, our staff. Let's go ahead and protect our students. And I'm sure the lawyer said, and let's protect our pockets because all of these people are going to come after you in a class action lawsuit. So they went and go ahead and paid it. And um, apparently, um, oh, I'm not going to say it's roses again. I'm sure a few heads roll, but um, but it's a community college, so taxpayers pay for it anyways, right? <laughs> so it's going to—it's basically saying that the 65 gigabytes of data that basically no escape said that they'll basically have everything decrypted by August 14th. Mm -hmm. So they have two weeks still. And that's kind of lends itself to that data that we saw with the Sophos of how long it takes to get back up. It's going to be obviously longer, longer than a week for these guys. Um, and they're still not going to be fully operational until later this month uh, in this particular incident. So one of the things that crossed my mind as you were, as you were talking, Andre, is I'm, I'm really surprised um, I would assume that this community college probably gets federal funding somewhere along the way. Um, I'm, I'm really surprised that they paid the ransom and, and um, you know, I would imagine that they had cyber insurance and they were advised to do so. And I'm surprised that that doesn't jeopardize their ability to get funds from the department of education. Um, mm. <clears throat> you know, that, that they went and paid a ransom. So Interesting. Um, and this isn't even one of the most prolific groups right now, um, which is pretty, is, is another, is pretty amazing to me too. I think um, next week I'd like to spend maybe 15 minutes going through some of the more prolific ransomware groups and who they've hit in the last two or three months. Um, because there's three or four of them out there that are just racking up the victims. And um, I'd like to bring some awareness around it. So Try to keep that in the back of our minds for for next show. Um, anything else you guys want to add before we we wrap up here? Yeah, I think it, 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 I don't know if it's a snoozer, but um, maybe we should do like a cyber insurance application where we bring out a few empty <laughs> forms, you know, two or three pages, and just kind of go over it. I got one, so uh, we'll we'll pull up the one that I have from last week. Um, this is slow news day. We'll do it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to, to show people, uh, I think maybe show people what's being asked and then explain to them what it actually means and, and what they should be seeing in their environment if they're actually doing those things. Because, I mean, I look at it two ways. If, if you don't know and you're guessing, you're either a yes person or a no person. You're either going to put yes on every question or you're going to put no on every question. Either way, you're wrong. Um, and I think that it'll be eye-opening for a lot of people because um, I know a lot of people still tackle those applications on their own, and I, that just blows my mind. But, yeah, that would be a, a good kind of second part to the ne next week's show where we talk about ransomware groups and we talk about cyber insurance applications uh, and how people can screw them up royally and what it means if you don't fill them out right. Mm -hmm. 
So, all right, cool. We're 43 minutes in. Good show. Thanks for your input, guys. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. Take care.